Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking this week with actor Peter Davison, star of All Creatures Great and Small, Doctor Who, At Home with the Braithwaites, West End musicals like Spamalot and Gypsy, and much more. He's also the author of a delightful memoir, Is There Life Outside the Box? and Actor Despairs. And Doctor Who fans also know him as the creator of the 50th anniversary special, The Five-ish Doctors Reboot. Peter talks with me about many of those things, plus how he came to write his book, The Rise of the Nerds, and more. Here's my conversation with Peter Davison. Peter, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Oh, thank you very much. So I start everybody else out with the same question, which is, were you a creative kid or did you discover your creative side later on? Um, that, I don't really know. I mean, I just never felt anything. I was, I was particularly one thing or the other. I used to make, uh, uh, um, the earliest creative thing I remember doing is making models of uh, Jerry Anderson's Fireball XL5 out of um, a loo roll and just, you know, painted it. And I used to build those model air, uh, sort of aircraft kits, the model aircraft kits. Um, and I used to hang them from the ceiling, which I thought was pretty good. Most people put them on a stand and painted them brilliantly. I would hang them on bits of wire from the ceiling so that when someone came in the door, they would appear to fly across. And sometimes I'd set fire to them, which is not a good idea because they belch out black, highly polluting smoke. Uh, but, it, you know, what else do you do with them? You've got to use them in some kind of practical way. Um, so, I, I, you know, like every kid, you play in the street and you imagine... Um, I mainly imagine when I was younger, I was Popeye. I wanted to be Popeye the Sailor Man, so I tried to eat spinach. <laughs> Tinned spinach, which, by the way, is disgusting. It's awful. <laughs> it is really awful, yeah. I love, actually, I love spinach now, but not tinned spinach. No. Uh, um, I don't know if I was creative. I mean, I, I think I became creative, first of all, in terms of music at school, because... Um, we always had a piano in our house. My father played the piano, um, taught himself. He wasn't properly, you know, he wasn't, he couldn't read music or anything like that. So I would bang out chords on my piano. And then I think I joined the school orchestra when I was about sort of 12 uh, and played the clarinet in the school orchestra. Pretty terrible. It was a pretty terrible school orchestra, I have to say. Um, you know, I don't know if you, anyone could ever recognise the pieces of music we were playing. But um, so I did that and then I took music. So I, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't gravitate towards art. I didn't really sort of go. My sister was uh, more artistic than I was in terms of drawings and things like that. But I did uh, um, start writing songs quite early on. And um, in fact, even when, uh, even when I, you know, I joined an, uh, I then joined the drama club, and uh, I then from that I joined an, what they call an amateur dramatic society, um, and then I did. Uh, uh, it's an old story I've told this many times, but did terribly badly at my exams at school, and so I thought, well, I might as well apply for drama school, which I did, and miraculously got in. But. Um, and so I, I sort of somehow set myself on this very artistic course while not really thinking of myself as being particularly artistic. 
<coughs> I remember <coughs> at drama school being terribly embarrassed because I didn't really know that many actors. You know, so people would talk about, you know, very famous, I can't remember them now because I never didn't ever use they were, but, uh, and I would go, who are they? And they would look at me in absolutely, you know, a shocked face that I didn't know who this particular actor was. But my influences, weirdly, were, um, uh, 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 there's a radio series over here uh, called, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, which uh, starred uh, John Cleese, uh, and Graham Chapman and um, Bill Oddy. So th those people who went on to be kind of the, the leaders in sort of off-the-wall uh, cult, cult comedy, Monty Python's Flying Circus, um, and I think the others went off to do The Goodies, uh, um, uh, which was a TV series over here. Uh, and also I was a big fan of The Goon Show. So it was really, uh, I was more interested in, um, the comedy side of things, really. Uh, um, that didn't kind of work. Well, that's what it did, really. I did do sitcoms. Um, so, uh, uh, so I was never a great theatre guy. You know, I didn't really uh, uh, um, spend... A lot, a lot of the people at drama school would go off to the theatre you know, a couple of times a week. I never really did that. Um, and I was also much more focused on... A career writing songs. That's what I really thought my strong point was. Um, even after I left drama school, I, I found a diary that I kept for a few months. Uh, and in that, I was talking about being irritated by being an acting, by being offered an acting job, because it meant I couldn't sit at home and write these songs on my tape recorder. Uh, and then, but then, you know, circumstances overtake you and suddenly people kept offering me acting work and um, I got distracted for about half a century. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Funny how that happens. And though, yeah. You know, when I read your book, I was so surprised at, at the songwriting side because I hadn't mm. been aware of that and, and how much you debated which way to go. Yeah. I mean, I was doing okay with the songwriting stuff. I mean, I, um, Somebody wanted to buy a couple of my songs, and I was offered a, an EMI songwriting contract. You know, EMI is basically the Beatles were with, and it was a big, it was the major sort of record label over here. Um, but it was such a terrible deal. Uh, it was, a, a, you know, a, I think it was something like you know, 600 pounds a, a year, but you had to produce for them 10 songs that were acceptable to them. Uh, um, and of course, if they if they took nine of those songs and said, "Sorry, you haven't come up with the tenth, presumably they wouldn't have to pay you any money. Uh, um, so it was a bad deal. I turned it down. Um, and then I always sung, sold a song to Frank Sinatra at one point. <laughs> or so the man told me uh, he was it, it would have been bad, but I turned that down because I thought, if it's that good, why am I giving it away for virtually nothing? Um, and, then I, I, and then I did a couple, a, a song on a Dave Clark Five album. Uh, and then I wrote theme tune for a TV series, couple actually, couple. Um, so, but I, by that time, I think the acting had sort of was taking me away from this. Uh, so, and I, and I was sort of very happy about that. You know, once I got into TV, I felt like I'd found a home. Um, uh, I just felt I understood it. I didn't even know why I understood it. 
but where lots of people around me, actors around me, didn't understand it, couldn't quite grasp, you know, couldn't quite manage to say their lines while a red light was coming on on a camera. I kind of understood it, and I don't know why. I, I suppose my father was, uh, um, was not in the business at all. He was an electrical engineer. So I had a kind of technical knowledge of things, how things worked, uh, um, which probably if you were too artistic, you couldn't be bothered to learn. It always kind of fascinated me, the technical side of television and film. has always fascinated me. I'm always kind of on, when I'm on the set, always asking the cameraman or the sound guys how certain things work. Um, I just like it. I mean, it, the, uh, it's, it's not that I'm not interested in the acting, I am, but I'm interested in how all these disparate groups of people come together, you know, whether it's costume, sets, sound, camera, to make uh, um, uh, uh, the whole. And we're just simply a part of that. I feel very much like the actors are just simply uh, one you know, slice of the pie. That's so interesting because my father's an electrical engineer and I can imagine that if I were in that position, I'd be doing the same thing. You know, yeah. How does this work? Tell me how, yeah. you know, what yeah. that is. I'd, I'd want to yeah. do all the same things. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you found a home in TV and then, mm. and then you landed this little part that changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, which little part is a matter of interest that you talk about? Which little part would that be? The, the... Well, are you talking about Doctor Who? No, just about... maybe, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I mean, uh, Doctor Who, uh, uh, I can't really separate Doctor Who in my mind from um, All Creatures Great and Small, which oh, is a series true. before, because um, it... it, it I'd worked with John Nathan Turner in All Creatures Great and Small, and he left after one season of All Creatures. He was just what they called the production unit manager. And he took he left uh, All Creatures to become the producer of Doctor Who. And I didn't think any more about it. I mean, we got on very well, John and I. Um, and But I think the nature of that part, the nature of the Tristan part, had somehow convinced John that I was what he called a personality actor. And I had never seen myself as that in any shape or form. Uh, I had just seen myself as sort of some, like most actors, no character at all, and had to sort of create this, 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 this character uh, um, from, you know, just look, reading the script. Um, so when, when, he, when he rang up one night and, cast, and offered me Doctor Who, you know, my, my first thought was, well, how the hell do you do this? Uh, but he was just saying, well, just do it like you. And I thought, well, I, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, he believed that I was Tristan. You know, but it, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you've ever seen all things. Oh, yeah. But, but so he believed that I was this sort of rather daredevil chap, sort of always up for a pint of beer and, you know, chasing the girls around and, Things like that, and uh, um, I had seen myself as a very shy, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, not very sociable person. But playing that Tristan had kind of fa I'd found an outlet for something that wasn't really even particularly me. Interestingly, it's kind of grown a bit. It's grown more like me through the years. So I don't even know who I was then. <laughs> but uh, um, so it was it was troubling to me when. Um, 
uh, uh, you know, I just didn't know how to how to play this part. He was sort of saying, "Do it, you know, I'll cast you because you're a personality actor." And I was sort of saying, "No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what personality I'm meant to be." So, but I had, of course, had the one advantage over previous Doctor Who's was that I had watched Doctor Who. So uh, I, I had, you know, and I was a fan of the, the program, not a mega mega fan like uh, um, some some son-in-law I know, <laughs> but I was I was I was I was a fan of the show. So uh, uh, um, uh, so I was able to go well, you know, my two doctors were William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton, so I'll try and draw on elements of those. Uh, the sort of irascibility of William Hartnell and the kind of rather wide-eyed, foolish innocence of uh, um, uh, uh, Patrick Troughton. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, I hadn't really watched much of Tom, I, hadn't, I hadn't really watched much of John Pertwee or Tom Baker, really, not because I didn't like them, simply because, like my sons, you know, I was off at uh, um, drama school, I was doing other things, and that kind of whole Saturday afternoon thing sort of went, goes out the window when you're hungover. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, um, so I, I, I drew mainly on, on, the, on the first two doctors. I, I loved uh, uh, the kind of uh, the vulnerability of Patrick Troughton, which I felt was something that had been lost in the, in the brief things I've seen of both John and Tom. Actually, I mean, uh, John was very much the sort of uh, uh, male, alpha male superhero, actually, you know, always hitting people and punching people and being involved in fights and knowing much, much better than his companion what to do. Uh, and uh, uh, Tom was just uh, never, it was very funny, Tom. I, I thought it was very clever and funny, um, especially when, when uh, uh, um, uh, uh, oh, God. He tried his guide to the galaxy. Douglas Adams. Um, yeah. Uh, when he was the script editor, I thought, you know, it had this marvellous undergraduate humour, which I was a sort of a fan of through John Please and all that. Lot. So, But I didn't think, I, I thought he had lost the kind of sense of danger that he was ever really under threat. You got the feeling that no matter what happened, even if death was approaching, he'd be handing out jelly babies and, you know, being perfectly jolly about it. So, uh, you know, I... I I tried to create a character through that, but prior to my starting, you know, I'd famously, well, in my, I say famously, in my head it was famously, I did this, um, this panel on this lunchtime chat show in Britain uh, where um, they had got several people, just members of the public, to suggest ways in which I might play the Doctor. Oh my. Uh, and there were various suggestions <laughs> when they thought I needed help. I don't know. It was just, it was Pebble Mill at one. It was a, in Birmingham. It was a lunchtime, fairly light lunchtime chat show. Anyway, so I was just listening to all these people going on a bit. There, but then one bloke at the end said, uh, I think you should be like Tristan, but brave. And I thought, well, that's it, really. <laughs> that's, about, that's, that's what I'll be, Tristan, but brave. So, uh, um, uh, uh, that's how I embarked upon it, but I wasn't. I wasn't confident, you know. I felt that. Um, I suppose I, again, I was more like Pat Troughton. I think, you know. I mean, I think John came with John. John Pertwee is sort of, you know, full on in your face sort of personality. Tom came with his full on eccentricities, uh, um, and I felt a, 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 a sort of kinship with Patrick, who I think was a bit like me. Didn't think he was anything you know, 
special in terms of personality. He just was an actor doing his job. And that's why I like the idea of doing it. I've noticed in recent years I've become a little more eccentric, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> I suppose that's something to be expected. Isn't it? There you go. But, and I think right. that, you know, your doctor is different because he isn't as in your face. You know, he's not the James Bond. He's not mm. got the over-the-top costume and, and all of that. <clears throat> and I think that he's very underrated because of that. And I will, I will say, you know, full disclosure, I am a total Fifth Doctor fangirl. So that's where I'm coming from here. But I'm, I'm always <laughs> disappointed when I see people saying online, you know, you know, I see people's rankings and he's like down at the bottom of the list. And I'm like, mm. you guys are really missing out. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, you know, what, what you think. I, I, I think that the fifth doctor is far wilier than people give him credit for. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think he knows more what's going on and just doesn't necessarily let on that he knows what's going on. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that would definitely be true. Uh, I mean, I think he does have an element, which, as I say, uh, of, of in, in my doctor anyway, of uh, being slightly, slightly reckless in terms of the consequences. But, and that's something that, was very much a feature when I think when the doctor when doctor came back. So, um, uh, uh, it, you know, he's, he has the best intentions, but some but sometimes things don't quite work out the way that he wants them to. Well, hardly ever actually thinking about. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I never really take much notice of people who say things I'm not really aware of it because the truth is that most, you know if you see if you when you meet people you know it's not many people who come up and go oh, I don't like you <laughs> I don't like you mostly you're getting the people who go oh, I really like your doctor so I, I, I probably get a very rosy view of it but um you know it's it it was a very what people have to understand or, or is that you know i I really enjoyed doing, doing Doctor Who. I'd watched it before I did it, and uh, uh, I really enjoyed all the running up and down uh, uh, the corridors and saving the universe. But it was a phase of my career. You know, I, I did not want it to be. I, I've never wanted to be defined, be defined by Doctor Who, which is why I asked when you said the, you know, the part that changed <laughs> my, my my life. I I, I think I have several. Of those in my in my mm -hmm. career mind uh, um um which have led me into different facets um and many years later i i was you know i got this reputation for playing nice characters all the time and then uh, um I, I went up for a part uh it's just a small part of speech in a series that any henry was doing about, about school uh, and I was playing a terrible headmaster who ended up screaming at his kids, like really viciously screaming at them. And um, I'd go for the audition and I thought, well, uh, uh, if I, they said, do you, want to, do you want to read? And I said, no, because I said, if I read, I think I'll stand less chance of getting it than if I just, and, it, and they, got, they offered me the part. But it, it, that, that little part in that thing, People saw me screaming at someone and thought, oh, he can, he can shout at people. Uh, um, and so that moved me into a different phase, which included at home with the Braithwaite's and things like that, where I, I was cast to make unpleasant characters slightly nicer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, it, uh, you know, 
I don't know. If you, have you ever heard of, all, uh, of um, a home with the Wraith mm-hmm. Ricks? Right. Well, so uh, um, it was a very different part for me, this, because I, I was playing a rather unpleasant husband, unfaithful and, you know, a bad guy, really. Uh, and um, I was it was one of those parts where they just rang it up and offered it to me. And uh, um, I thought, that's amazing that they've done that because it's so unlike the sort of parts I play. And after we finished the first block of filming, I said to the producer, you know, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity to play this unpleasant character. And he said, well, thanks for making him so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> because the way these things work is they had this unpleasant character, but they needed the audience to empathise with him because actually they wanted they needed the audience to like him in some way. So uh, I somehow moved into that area of making rather unlike characters uh, um kind of acceptable and 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 people which i i think is quite good because you know when you're playing these parts you yourself can't think they're terrible otherwise it just would never work you have to come anyway i think i'm skipping ahead sorry that's that's okay that's totally okay i mean it, it actually kind of segues into something that that was on my list to ask you which is i was catching up on some big finish a couple months ago because i interviewed sarah sutton on stage in Long Island in November. And I wanted to catch up on her whole older Nyssa saga with Big Finish. And in yeah. that sequence, there's a story called Cradle of the Snake, which is the Mara story, only instead of infecting Tegan this time, the Mara infects the doctor. And the whole time I was listening to it, I kept thinking, he is having so much fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's like the rare opportunity for the fifth doctor to be really bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you do realize those things. I have to say, after you know, after you've played an unpleasant character for some time, it's quite nice to then go back to play a nice one. But you do enjoy those things like the big finish, where right? it's sort of you know, the day in the studio, basically. Yeah, you do enjoy it. You don't. We like to kind of stretch our wings and get this venom out of us somehow. Extract the venom from our. <laughs> That's a that's a great metaphor for the Mara. And I think we enjoy listening to it too, because it's so different and because we can tell that you're having fun with it. But it's also mm. like, wow, what if the fifth doctor, you know, sweet, pretty under, you know, what's the word I want? Understated fifth yes. doctor is suddenly yeah. over the top evil taking over the world. Like, whoa, hang on, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. And I think Big Finish is great for that. You know, all the things that you never really got to do on screen and you also don't have to worry about what the special effects budget is. Yes. <laughs> or the lack of one, in fact. Exactly. There there yeah. will be no Mercas in Big Finish. <laughs> so I have one other Doctor Who question that I have to ask you because it came up on Twitter recently and I promised people that I would ask. So there was a discussion about that particular son-in-law of yours having asked to have the end credits changed so that his character said the Doctor rather than Doctor Who, and someone thought that you may have done the same thing when when you were in the part, and they weren't sure if it right. was you or if it was John Nathan Turner. So I said I, I would ask. It was, I mean, I don't know. Are you saying referring to themselves as Doctor Who? In Is the credits, what? in the end credits. Oh, in the credits, right, the Doctor. No, yeah, no, that wasn't me. But I mean, I, 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 I think John's thing was, it was Doctor Who, question mark. So 
it was playing, you're playing the doctor, yeah. So I, it was certainly was, in, in, in my time, I think, it was called the doctor. But I, I can't really take credit for that. Okay. Sadly, I wish I could. Shall I <laughs> Yes, it was all me. <laughs> it was it all you. Uh, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it was all you. But we, we should talk about All Creatures Great and Small because I did get a little bit ahead of myself there because uh, uh, it was, you know, it was such a big deal. And I remember it in my house. In fact, when I discovered Doctor Who, my mother was a big fan of All Creatures. And I... I remember telling her, oh, the guy who played Tristan is on Doctor Who, you know, to try to impress her, which didn't work in the slightest, but I tried. (laughs) But um, but yeah, I I was really intrigued by the way that you talked about Robert Hardy in the book and how he worked. And I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that. Um, I just thought he was one of the most unique actors that I, 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 I have met. He was, I couldn't see, I could never see his influences. You know, a lot of the, a lot of actors that came were coming along after Olivier and Gil, could, you could kind of see the influences, but with, he, he, he made his own way. I very much felt he made his own way. And it was sort of magical for me because, I, you know, I was tremendously, I suppose, scared, really, of, of working with him. He, he was in this series, uh, which I remember watching, called uh, um, the, Age, the Age of Kings, I think it was called, uh, uh, um, all about the sort of... The, it was based on Shakespeare, but they sort of melded it and rewritten it and put it together, and he played Henry V uh, in that, Prince Hal and then Henry V, and he was just... Uh, uh, kind of mesmerizing in it, but uh, uh, it, it wasn't like I was thinking at that point, oh, I'd like to be like him because that was so far away from anything I had imagined would be possible. Um, and then I just found myself suddenly working with him. My mother was in love with Robert Hardy because of that same series. So, of course, uh, uh, I, I had to live with for the entire time that we did All Creatures. My mother being far more interested in Robert Hardy than she was be was in me. <laughs> she, yeah, and I would ask her about an episode that'd be on, and she'd go, "Oh, I, I thought Robert Hardy was so brilliant in that." And I was going, oh, "Hang on, hang on, I was in it too." <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but it, uh, and what happened was, as I said, I was very, very scared of uh, uh, of of working with. Robert Hardy. In fact, all of them, because I, you know, I, I was, I felt myself as a BBC newcomer. You know, I hadn't really done that much stuff before, uh, um, and uh, uh, and we started working on it. And I thought, how the heck am I going to even keep up with this man? Because the brothers, the two brothers, had quite a lot of scenes together, mostly arguing scenes, and. Um, and he, he, I just, I just thought it was the most brilliant lessons I learned working with him because he was never the same. You know, most actors when they're approaching TV or, or stage, I think probably, but mo- mostly TV or film, is they try and pin down the character they want to play and the way they want to play a scene, and they have a pretty clear idea in their mind how they want to do it. I may be talking about British actors now. American actors may have a different. Uh, style because they're much more prone to making it up and changing things on the set than I think is the tradition over here. 
um, because our 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 history is from theatre where you learn you, you know a specific script and you don't bugger around with the line. So that that tradition of going, let's do a little improv here doesn't really happen so much. It may be coming in more now, I don't know. But when I was coming up, it, there was no tradition of going, let's just see how it goes. Let's just say, say whatever you like. That never happened. You had the script and you tried to get the script done as right as well as you could. Uh, um, and he would um so I was always working, okay, I want to do the scene like this. I think Tristan should say this line like this. He should do that. And Robert Hardy never did that. Every single time you did the scene with him, he was completely different. Uh, sometimes he would fly at you in a rage in, in the scene as Siegfried, and sometimes he'd be really. Uh, and I just had to react all the time to that. And uh, it, it was an extraordinary just lesson in how to just never try and not nail things down quite so much in terms of the emotion, the words, yes, but not in terms of the way you might, you might react. Don't decide the way you're going to play a line until the other person says the line to you. It's got to come off almost the top of your head, the, the, the reaction. Uh, maybe that's what I mean. It was about how uh, uh, that acting is reacting, reactive. You know, it's very much reactive. And, and he would just throw things at me all the time, and we go for another take and things. And sometimes he would be the best he ever was in rehearsal, you know, before we ever filmed it. And when we got to the filming, he never quite managed to, to do that same thing, and he knew it. He would get very cross with himself and sometimes be a bit irate on the set because of it. But I, I knew what, what, he was, what he was saying. He was saying, I didn't get it right. I couldn't keep it down. I couldn't keep it under control. Because he just, I mean, the genius of him was it, it was kind of his inconsistencies in terms of the way he played it. How they would cut two scenes to do together that he did, I don't know. Because he, he was always he was always just different depending on how it felt, how it grabbed him at the time. And uh, and he liked the way that I was able to keep up with him. I think I wasn't doing any more than that, but I could, I could keep up with him. And so he then went and said to the, because the, the original idea was that Tristan was only in, I think, five episodes of the first series. And then he went back to college and sort of disappeared. And he said, he went to the producer and said, um, we need to have Tristan, my character, in it much more because I, I like to do, I like those scenes. They're a chance for me to really sort of go for it. And so I was in it, well, uh, until I, departed to do another series, which so I couldn't do a series. Uh, um, I was in it all, all, all the time. Then I came back uh, for the final uh, um, special. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was really, uh, I, I learned, I felt I learned an enormous amount from him. And I, you know, he had a bit of a reputation for being a bit sort of sharp. On, on set, but I, I, I understood why that was. Uh, uh, and I just, I thought he was great. That sounds like the kind of thing that, that sticks with you forever. Yeah, it was. And also, I, I can't leave you know, Chris Timothy as well, I think was a huge, not in the acting department, so not uh, so much as just being nice on the set and generous on the set. So, uh, uh, um, and he, he taught me that. And I think sometimes when I read about the bad behavior of soap opera actors uh, 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 you get in, in this country, and uh, I think it's because Unfortunately for them, they didn't have the right people around to teach them that you don't have to do those things. 
you don't have to sort of you know, be obnoxious. You can just you can work and get the get the job done. Um, you know, and that's that that makes it easy for everyone, everyone on the set. Yeah. That's interesting. I I know that and I know that this is like an actor's nightmare, but to me, Robert Hardy is always Siegfried. <laughs> Every time I see him in anything, that's my first reaction is, oh, it's Siegfried. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it, you, in the break, we did three series between 77 and 79. And then we stopped because we'd taken the series up to the war. And we thought that was it. We thought three series was enough. We all got together and said, oh, no, I think we've done now. We all wanted to go off and do other things. Uh, and Chris went off and did a West End musical. Uh, I went off and did a couple of uh, sitcoms and then into uh, Doctor Who. Uh, and Robert Hardy played Winston Churchill. And when he came back... <laughs> <laughs> he'd sort of turned into Winston Churchill. I mean, and I, it's a weird thing. It happens to every actor that plays Winston Churchill. They, they always become Winston Churchill. It's a, the most extraordinary thing. Oh, I don't like that. Uh, um, but, so he had to be uh, sapped about a bit before he returned to them. <laughs> To, to Siegfried, uh, and I said to him, "You said you sound like Winston." He said, "Tell me if I sound like Winston Churchill." <laughs> it's funny because I remember reading something that must have come out around that same time where he said, "Well, with a face like mine, you know, you have to play Winston Churchill." And I thought, never even occurred he to me until you know. He was incredibly youthful. He mm -hmm. was terrifyingly youthful. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it was uh, it was um, on the face of it absurd that we should be brothers because there was an enormous difference in our age. But uh, actually, it didn't really make any difference at all. I didn't think, you know, it was plain. Yeah, one of the things that I found so interesting in the book is yeah. that you're remarkably willing to be honest and vulnerable in this book about your experience. And one of the things that you comment on is how every time you'd get a part, there was this part of you just waiting for the phone call saying, oh, nope, sorry, we've made a terrible mistake. We really meant to call someone else. <laughs> you know, here's the sad thing. Yesterday, I did a read through for a thing I'm doing starting next week, the TV thing. And um, it was on Zoom. The, the read-through, and it, they're always terrible on Zoom. I hate them. Uh, uh, um, but I was literally, I had to go in for a costume fitting today, and then one of the producers came out and said, oh, I love the reading. Uh, I love the read-through yesterday. I said, really? I said, <laughs> I, I, I said I, and I said, repeated this thing. I said, I always think, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to be recast after the read-through. It never goes away. You'd think, you'd think you'd get to a point where you go, oh, no, this is fine. No, it's... Um, Read-throughs are horrible, are horrible things, really, um, uh, uh, because you think everyone is listening to you, right? But, uh, um, but because you're all thinking that, no one is actually listening to anyone. <laughs> all you're thinking is, oh, God, I'm terrible in this. And I think what most actors are the same, whether they're honest about it or not. Uh, and so you get some actors who will whisper really quietly so no one can hear anything they're saying. They just whisper everything so everyone's going, what, what, 
performance, you say, because then they're, they're afraid of giving a performance because, you know, if they don't give a performance, they can't really fire you on the basis of that. Uh, but so you don't know where to pitch it. Uh, uh, um, but you, you are thinking, I'm never listening to anyone going, oh, they're rubbish. I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm rubbish. And I think most of the other actors around the table are. Meanwhile, the producers don't appear to notice that at all and think, oh, everyone's paid. Um, <laughs> but then when you get on the set, it's different because then you're actually in the process of, of making it. So it's usually, it's usually that phase after the read-through where I think I'm going to be recast. Um, it's never actually happened to me, but I have known it happen to a couple of people, um, one of whom I was in, in something with, and um, they'd actually, we'd actually done one episode and they decided that it, it wasn't working and just recast her. Wow. To, be fair, it, to be fair, it wasn't working. So it, it, it's a very it's a difficult problem this i mean you it's the most awful thing because you know that person has been so excited about getting the part and um they, we've actually recorded an episode and then the powers that be come to a decision which actually if, if you're honest the actors agree with as well we all say we don't you know we all say oh it's terrible that they did to her it so awful but the fact of the matter is what are you going to do? You're going to make the entire series and it's going to be not good. Or do you have to make a brutal decision for the sake, I suppose, of the series? But I don't know what the best thing to do is. So it, it's, it's, it can be a cruel world. So I know that it happens. and I know that people have uh, been recast. So it just fortunately up to this point has never been me yet. Um, <laughs> but maybe I might get the phone call tomorrow morning. I don't know. I think it's valuable to talk about the fact that that's what goes through your head, though, because I mm. think most of us, you know, especially those of us who aren't actors, just assume that, you know, oh, no, I went in and I read really well and I got this part yeah. and it's all going to be great. And I, I think that exposing the reality that, you know, it's normal for people to yes. feel like this is all, ter you know, I did a terrible job and they're going to realize it and it's going to come crashing down is, is really not that unusual. Mm, no, it's, and I, I don't know, I, 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 I speak, I spent a, a couple of months uh, in um, the, when was it? Uh, the mid-80s, I guess it was, being in, in Los Angeles and going around for a few auditions. It was just that my then wife was over for pilot season and I wasn't doing anything. So I came over and then her agent started sending me up for various things. And there's a, there's a, there's, there is, is a difference between, uh, 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 and this is going to be a bit of a generalisation because I know, I'm sure there are uh, American actors who aren't like this, but uh, there is a kind of self-confidence in American actors that isn't there in British actors. And I don't know why it is. Um, uh, uh, so I would just I would sit in this the um, the room waiting for the you know the audition, and there will be uh, American actors there, and I'd end up talking to them, and they would they quite often would say things like, "Oh, I did a movie last year, but it hasn't come out yet, which is such a shame because I was absolutely brilliant in it," and I think really I just can't ever imagine saying that. So there was a kind of confidence about what they were doing, and I always thought. You know, when, you know, when um, Dallas and Dynasty were reigning mm -hmm. supreme and um, the truth is they were pretty terrible scripts, so Dallas and Dynasty things, really. I mean, they were very popular, but they were pretty terrible scripts. 
And they quite often draft English actors and actresses into those, those series. And I felt when I would watch them that there were, you, I could see behind their eyes that they thought, this is a really terrible script, but I'm doing my best to say it. But the American actors would go for it full on and, of course, bring it off. So people like Larry Hagman, you know, actually would go for the full thing. Whereas, you know, I remember watching people like uh, Stephanie Beecham. It was, she was very successful in it, but, you know, I'd worked with her. And I just felt when she had a really terrible line, there was a kind of subtext in her performance which said, I know this is a terrible line, please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, so, it, so it, I'm not knocking American actors because that confidence can bring you through all sorts of, you know, crises that maybe British actors have. But I think there's a kind of assurance in, in certain areas. Maybe, maybe it's just film, film or television. Maybe it's not the same on stage because, you know, we're, we have a kind of background of stage. Therefore, stage feels like home to us in a funny kind of way. Whereas once you branch into films, we feel that's really the American territory. You know, that's where Americans are, uh, know what's going on. As I say, I would, you know, if I did a, a movie and they started saying, let's just do, well, let's just improv this scene, Peter, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> I would be completely lost. Anyway, but you can still offer me the job if anyone's out there. And I'm willing to take the job. They can be wrong. <laughs> Well, I want to make sure that we have time to talk about the book, and I'm hoping that we can also talk about musicals too. And they sort of come right. together in yeah. the book because you've the the book is their life outside the box. Mm. Um, is is structured so that you have kind of an opening for each chapter that is sort of present day that usually has something to do with Gypsy. Yeah, and then that. Oh yes, the diary yes, is yes. is reflected in you know the the memories that go, that kind of you know go with that, yes. that diary entry, yeah. which I thought yeah. was really fascinating, and and we'll get into that. But I'm first of all curious about what inspired you to write the book in the first place. Well, uh, um, um, someone came to me, a, 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 a comedy writer called Andy Merriman who I'd done a radio series with some time before. And he said, uh, um, you know, do you want to work together on your autobiography? And I just, I mean, I, I love Andy, and he's, he's, a great, he's a great writer, but I felt if I was going to do it, I had to do it myself, every word. Um, so Andy, very kindly, I said, I'm very happy to have you on board to give me any advice about what, you know, what I've missed out and how I should approach certain things. But he said, well, why don't I just go off and do research? So he went off and uh, he, he um, met up with various people I've been at school with uh, and, uh, um, and at drama school. And he met up with my sister uh, and talked to her and got the sort of background info that maybe... I, I didn't get, but I was just determined to write it my, myself. I wanted to write something that was how I, my experience of an actor, of being an actor, which I'm sure is very common. It's certainly not un, un, unusual, but, uh, it, uh, but as you say, maybe actors don't always put down that, that down on paper. Some people, some people do. I mean, uh, 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 some of us do, but it's just, I think it's what's appealing about actors is our 
you know, our stupidity. Really. <laughs> you know, we are, we are, we are terribly, we are on the one hand, terribly frivolous people. We're a terribly frivolous, we're a really frivolous uh, uh, job. I mean, we really like to entertain people uh, 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 and we, it, or not even that really, it's just a great job to do. If I'm honest about it, you couldn't imagine a better job to do because uh, I, 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 I've enjoyed nearly every single day, even if it's been terrible that I've, I've, I've been in this business. And you can't really say that. I think for a lot of people, you know, if it's a Monday to Friday thing, you know, you struggle through and you live for the weekend. I, I live for the working and I find the weekend intolerably dull. Uh, um, so, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I said to my wife last year, the thing is, I've got to the age now, it was always on the cards, but I've got to the age now where my social life is working. You know, that's why I meet the people I talk to. And, it, you know, it's nice, it, it, you know, uh, uh, um, I, I'm trying to think, I, I just, I, I got tired of actors being worthy. You know, it just can be terribly worthy sometimes. You know, it's a really important piece I'm doing here. I think it's really, you know, it's important people's rubbish, rubbish. It's just you like doing it. It's a good job to do if you can get into it and it, it just enjoy it for what it is. Whether it's the, the thing I'm doing at the moment is a really, really silly comedy film. Uh, uh, um, it's, a Christmas, it's a TV thing, but it's a Christmas special comedy film, uh, which I will enjoy just as much as anything that oh, I might think is worthy or moving. You know, we just entertain people. You can entertain people by making them cry or sad or happy. You know, it's just, I, 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 I it's, a, it's a frivolously silly job we do and we shouldn't be talking too importantly about it. You know, every, that virtually everyone else, for start on the film set, works harder than actors do. Um, that nearly every single other job out there is worthier than, uh, more important than an actor's job. You know, whether you're cleaning the streets, whether you're, you know, uh, 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 whether you're teaching, whatever you're doing from, from lowest to high, in my view, they're nearly all more important than being more an actor, but they're not as much fun. And um, so I just shamelessly you now got to the point where if I got someone offers me a job and I think I'll enjoy it, that's my one criteria. I just, I think I'll enjoy it. I, I don't, I, I shouldn't be saying this really, but I'm just, you know, we're, we're we've come out of a, a pandemic, here, you know, and uh, um, this ought to be the Roaring Twenties. <laughs> it really ought to be the Roaring Twenties. We ought to be getting out there and having fun and enjoying ourselves, and we should be putting on shows that entertain people, joyous. You know, you can make them moving. You know, I like Gypsy was all those things and entertaining. Uh, instead, we just get. I just find, you know, when I'm looking for something to watch, endlessly depressing things, which I just am not interested in viewing. I don't want to see them. And um, I, I would prefer virtually anything uh, than, those, than those things. Oh, this is really important to show this particular crisis that people... No, rubbish. Just if you're taking it because it's a good job and you can chance to show off your acting. I'm not saying the writer didn't write it with those intentions in mind, but you're not doing it for that. You're doing it because, you, you know, you want to show what a great actor you are. You know, you don't want to you know, really, you know, inform people. That's just what act actors toddle talk. Uh, I've said too much, now I should shut up. This is why I should never do it. <laughs> um, 
so anyway, I, I'm just thinking it ought to be the Roaring Twenties, and instead we just appear to be, clo be, be closed down on every front. We don't. We seem to want to torture ourselves with with uh, our entertainment rather than entertain. There you go. <laughs> I can kind of see that. It's sort of the golden age of television, but there is a lot of that. It ought in to it. be. Yeah. It ought to be all happening now. You know, we've come out of a pandemic, admittedly not another world war yet, but we've come out of a pandemic. Everyone was in a sort of depressed state. So rather than come out of it with flags waving and, and you know, let's go out and, you know, have a great time, we, want, we seem to want to just beat ourselves, you know, uh, uh, um, senseless with, with what we think is, you know, important. Well, maybe um, we'll get there. Maybe enough people will hear yeah. this and take up the call. Maybe, the late, maybe as a, a couple of years later, we'll all go, oh, to hell with this. Let's do it. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I'm curious how how you decided to set the book up the way you did with the right. diary entry and then... Okay. The Yes, let's talk, let's talk about that. Let's, let's not get me into more trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, it was simply that I was writing the book when I was doing Gypsy, and I thought, why don't I just m make a diary of, of this sort of journey that's relevant to the book? I mean, I knew I was writing the book, and then I was working. And it, it worked out quite well because when you're doing theatre, people from your past keep popping up at the stage door. You know, suddenly someone you haven't seen for you know, 30 years, you, you know, the, the stage doorman will ring through and say, oh, I've got so-and-so here. And I think, wow, oh, my goodness me. And then someone from your history will just sort of walk in and, uh, uh, and you know, just funny, just funny things to happen. It just seemed you could, uh, 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 which you could connect, which I connected with things in the book. So when something happened, uh, uh, um either on stage or some coming to the stage, or I just then recall an event from, you know, my, my, my life. It seemed to be fun. And it was, um, it was just seemed a neat, a neat way of putting things together. Really. And it, 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 I managed to take it all the way through uh, to the end. After I'd finished uh, Egyptian, we went off to Florida and uh, it was, uh, where I, where I uh, um, managed failed to win a, 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 an Olivier Award. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was amazed that you managed to make that structure work the whole way through. Yeah, there always yeah. seemed to be something in the present that called up the past. Well, so that, that's it was what, an impressive that's what feat. Informed the, the past and what informed what I was talking about, really. Uh, um, and there were days that were things that were missed out. You know, it wasn't so that you know, not, not, obviously things didn't happen every day. But when they did happen, then they well, that's when I would connect it with the, the thing that happened. In, I was writing about in the book. Yeah. I enjoyed the whole process. And, uh, um, and I did write every, well, I'm very proud that I wrote every word myself. And, the, and then we had battles with the publishers over titles of the books and things like that. It was just, it was very silly because, of course, they want to sell books. So they, want, they wanted big pictures of the TARDIS on the front. Uh, and, you know, uh, um, <laughs> uh, we had an argument over the title. They didn't, they didn't understand the subtitle, you know. Uh, um, an actor despairs, which is from you know, Stanislavski. An actor prepares, which is the, <laughs> the famous acting book that you get given. My mother gave it to me, actually, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I, I, um, 
I did think about updating it at some point, but I don't know if it'll be worth it. One thing I really am disappointed with, which I hope to put right at some point, probably too late, is that um, you know, normally they, they, so they rang me up afterwards and said, do you want to read the audio book? Uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And they said, okay, um, we're doing it on whatever it was, September the 23rd or some such date. And I said, well, I'm, I'm busy on that day. I can't do it. I'm working. They said, okay. So then I assumed they would come back with another date. Instead, they just got someone else in to read it. Um, so I, I felt, I felt it wasn't the book wasn't really done justice to in on in the audio format. Well, uh, it's interesting because I looked to see if there was an audio book with you reading, yeah. and was kind of surprised that there wasn't. But as I said to a friend of mine once I started reading it, because I I said you should read this; it's really delightful. And I said, "There's no, there's no audio with him reading it, but it's okay because read it; it sounds exactly like him. You will hear him in your head, and it's fine." <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I would have done it, though, if I'd been free, but I don't understand why they didn't pursue it. It's a very bizarre situation. So I think he was Scottish, the right to get him. I think he's actually reading in a Scottish accent. That does seem odd that they wouldn't have made it. Yeah, I know. I just, yeah. no, no. Anyway, that's one of the things. Um, but, yeah, um, so uh, did my wife talk about this? We're now writing a book. No, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't? No. Please oh, tell. Right. I, well, no, it's, I don't even know if it'll come out. It might not even come to anything. I mean, at the moment, it's basically us arguing with each other about what we, what should be in any chapter. So, wait, I'm waiting for the response from the back room. Starting um, to think the two of you should have your own show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, we should do. Just the discussions are interesting. So, now, what happened was she's, she writes these, these um, romantic sagas. and. Um, I was asked by the um, Romantic Saga, whatever it is, society, to present the awards at the Romantic Saga Awards this year, which I did, uh, um, rather jet-lagged. Uh, I can just come back from America. Um, and uh, at the dinner, uh, um, the publisher, uh, publisher said, you know, why don't you two write a, um, a crime book, a crime novel, because I was... I read a lot. I used to read a lot of those, um, and she's she's written a lot of books, and I've I've written my autobiography. Um, so anyway, so we sat down to write it, and uh, oh, we've done about fifteen thousand words, I think. Um, but there's a lot of discussion about what should be in and what shouldn't be in, and how one should describe these things, and I, I, I and sometimes the arguments can get quite heated, uh, um, and then we just give up. Have a cup of coffee and go back to work, um, but it's—I'm <laughs> not sure. It's a, I think it's a creative argument. Argument we have when we we talk. It's help, not very healthy, and as you say, it should really be televised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know if anything will come of it, but I'm—I'm I'm enjoying it. But uh, well, I'll keep my eye out for it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when. <laughs> either either that or some heinous murder committed in this in this house uh, because we over uh, um, syntax. Um, I anyway, hope not. Uh, no, it won't. It's absolutely fine, but it's quite funny. Well, and you did also write the wonderful, I, I'm going to call it a love letter to fans that was the Five-ish Doctors reboot. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Which was uh, a yes, surprise. I was... 
Yeah, I think it was a surprise to ev- everyone, really. But, um, I mean, I had this idea. I'd done, uh, uh, originally I'd done two very short videos that I think are somewhere on Vimeo or something like that, which were for, in the old days, Gall- Gallifrey One Convention in California. And one year uh, I was invited, in 2010, I was invited by Sean uh, to come over, and I, I couldn't go back because I was in a play. I was in a le- Legally Blonde in the West End. Uh, and so he said, could you do a short video, um, you know, saying, sorry, I can't be there. And uh, it turned into about a five-minute, six-minute video, quite, you know, funny, funny video um, about um, why I couldn't get there and things. And then, um, and then the following year when I could go, I thought I'd do another video about me arriving. In the tar- in the TARDIS, and I actually then appeared out of the thing. So, so, uh, so I I've got I got got used to doing these sort of videos, and then when the fiftieth came around, I just thought it'd be quite fun to just do a little story, just filming with my home video camera, which is how the others were done. Uh, and um, but I thought I needed to film in in Cardiff, so I sent the script off to Stephen uh, Moffat, saying, you know, is it possible? To uh, uh, you know, spend uh, uh, um, you know just a day shooting little bits, and um, they got hold of it. Faith Penhale got hold of it and said, "I'd like this to be um, you know part of the the celebrations." And they literally they said, you, you, "We'll give you a budget of twenty five thousand." Sounded like an enormous amount of money to me. <laughs> uh, and then we um, you sit down with a one organizer the production manager and it, it, it's gone it's gone in like an instant um but uh i had a brilliant uh, uh, girl a girl who, woman who worked uh, in, in the doctor office at the time called katie player who really arranged the whole thing for us and uh, um and as i went on i managed to persuade Colin and Sylvester and Paul, who were quite reluctant at first because they just thought it was a bit of nonsense, that it was worth doing. And then by the end, they were really giving up a lot of their time to doing it. And um, and we got it out in the nick of time. I think I finished editing about three days before it went out. And uh, we didn't know how it would go down at all. And uh, But fortunately, I think it was rather fortunate, we were on this terrible programme on the BBC, hosted by people who knew nothing about Doctor Who and asking companions and doctors really stupid questions. And it was, that was at the end of the, after the special, the 50th anniversary special had been aired. And so everyone, I think, fans and everyone in the studio, especially the fans out there, were thoroughly depressed by this uh, uh, debacle of, uh, uh, of, of uh, in random interviews with people about nothing. And then they announced at the end that if they wanted, if anyone wanted to see anything else about Doctor Who, it was on what they BBC called the red button. So I think because the fans were so depressed by this programme that we'd all been involved in, it was just nonsense, they all pressed the red button and there came up this thing which they didn't expect, which they overreacted to in spectacular terms. And so... <laughs> Let's say we're going, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the most amazing. I mean, I said, but I think we were helped by the appalling 
this of the uh, <laughs> the BBC thing uh, 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 um, that had gone out, and so it just it seemed to grow in people's uh, um, imaginations about how good this thing was. And, it, and, and well, it, it, listen, it was great, you know, and it was fun, and I think it, I was very happy with the way it worked out with the, with the with the budget we had. And um, uh, but it, yeah, it was. Um, but this time, I, I thought about doing another one for this year, but it just proved too difficult, too difficult. Um, the, you know, the, the way things are done these days, everyone has to be so careful about what they say. And you write something in a script, and they go, oh, no, you can't say that. You oh. can't say that. And, and so it, it, and it's not worth doing if they're going to do that. So that it, in a way, it's, it, it's, that's why it hasn't happened, because, um, you know, you can't, there was a sort of freedom in that 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 thing to to, to go with the way we wanted. I mean, we were still getting notes from BBC execs, which we ignored uh, for the most part, and then they just gave up. And so it went out largely as we wanted, as, as I wanted it to. Uh, um, but nowadays, that everyone is running so scared of everything. You're just told all the time, you can't do this, you can't say that, you can't have that, you can't have that person in it. He said something at some point. Uh, and it just becomes a, a, a pointless exercise. So um, I suppose my own way, own way by failing to do it, I've contributed to the miserable 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry about that, but it, it just got there. Well, um, that's a shame. But at the same it time, is I feel yeah. like, you know, if you were only going to get one shining moment, to yeah. have that that magic happen, yes. I, I think I think you achieved that, and I think that you achieved it beautifully. Thank you very much indeed. But I wouldn't, and I w- the other thing is, I wouldn't want to, to have done it unless I believed it could be as good or better as the first one. And and I think that was always going to be very you know difficult to do, simply because everyone in that first one gave their time for free. You know, uh, um, uh, all the actors came in for nothing, and I don't know how easy that would have been for them to do again. Um, uh, and I would have wanted to be sure that it could be as good or better, as I say. And um, it, 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 uh, I don't think it would have been. So, well, and I anyway, think it, there you go. it really did feel like a love letter. You know, yes. it was so obvious that you guys were doing it because you wanted to. And I remember seeing on it must have been on twitter the day that you were all out with the protest signs yeah and none of us had any idea what was going on and people were like i thought you were serious what are they doing what are they doing what because we did we thought are they serious they're really upset what's going on and then when, when we finally saw it and it turned up in there it was like we finally were in on the joke and it was fantastic yeah, yeah. but the whole the whole thing and and the way that you know you roped that son-in-law into you know yeah. at least looking like he had been roped into it and and yeah. all of it was just just it, it couldn't i don't think it could have come together much more perfectly if you no, no 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 so, like like get a choice yeah. in that um yeah the thing is i i also felt that it was my kind of love as well as well as it was obviously colin celeste's and balls and david's as well but i felt it was i felt quite personally about it because of maybe what you were talking about earlier that maybe you know sometimes people don't take my doctor quite seriously i i you know i wanted to sort of say that i had been a fan of this series you know 
since uh, since it, it started really uh, and i wanted to say that it does mean to me something to me as well but it's very important to me that we, that i did this and that i you know showed that that i do like the whole business you know it's, you know in a way the whole fandom business is, is is extraordinary because it's so you know it's it's like a haven for anyone with uh, uh, any sort of trouble, not only for, for, for genuine science fiction fans, but for people who I always think, you know, you meet them, obviously people at conventions who have trouble sort of interacting with people, and yet, and yet now then they find themselves in this family of, uh, uh, of, of Doctor Who. Going back, it was quite a small family because, you know, while Star Trek was much bigger, Doctor Who was quite small. Doctor Who has expanded now. But in that first instance, you know, it was people who were devoted. And it was a haven for all sorts of weird and wonderful people. Uh, uh, um, and it still is. It's, but uh, it's just got, it's sort of got bigger. So I, I, I've, and everyone was so just accepting of everybody in, in that, 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 you know, within that fan, that fandom. It was, it was great. And you would go along in the old days. You, because we didn't know any better, maybe you know, you just spend the entire weekend sitting around with all, 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 all the fans, you know. And as it's got bigger, that's become more difficult. And and uh, in the in those days, it was it was like a large family of um, weirdos, and we were we were we were one of the, we were another group of weirdos. There's you know something great about weirdos. So it's it's I suppose it was it was sort of before the rise of the nerd, wasn't it? Really, you know now now you know nerd, in those days nerds were kind of like oh they're a nerd, but now ah, he's a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> it's now a pretty wonderful thing to be. You know my son really does count himself a nerd and is damn proud of it. Um, <laughs> so it's now you know you have now you, you know the. The nerds shall inherit the earth, I suppose, is what it is. Really. I think that's uh, true. And and I think that's one of the really cool things that I don't think is limited to just a Doctor Who fandom these days where, you know, you can go to a con and meet the people who've made the show as well as the other people who yeah. love it like you do. Yeah. And you're all in it together. Yeah. You know, yeah. there isn't that sense that, oh, you know, they're just here to be on the panel and that then there's the rest of us. There, there really yeah. is that sense that, yeah, you know, you can go have a conversation with Peter Davison and he gets mm. why you love the show just as much as you do. Mm. And, you know, when I talked to Paul McGann a couple of years ago, he talked about how he loves hearing the stories of, you know, how that show has has impacted people's lives and, you know, what it's done for them. Yes. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of those, too. Oh, lots of them. Yes. Uh, um, you know, I mean, it was, uh, you don't quite know what to say when people came up, you know, we met and fell in love and got married after meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but no, it's, it is very, it is very nice, and you do get. Uh, you know, I had this. She's the sweetest girl who just, just spent an entire time when I should have been talking to her, just crying because I was there. And you, you want to say, "Listen, I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm just me." But then you think, "Oh, is that a wrong thing to say?" Because mm. is the idea that they want you, they want you to be something special and different I, and i don't know that i never quite know how to handle that you know i don't you don't you don't want to let someone down uh, in, when they meet you you want to sort of in a way live up to their expect expectations but you're never quite sure what their expectations are right um, so i just try and talk to if people come up just talk to them 
right. to the moment, you know. Uh, um, but then I, when people get so emotional, I'm not awfully good at handling it. I sort of bit, I go, I go a bit British, you know. Oh, <laughs> it'll be fine. Just, just take a deep breath. Um, <laughs> Well, I will say the the first time I met you was at Long Island 2 in 2016 and right. at a it was the photo op with you and Colin and Paul and I did yeah. reach over it to shake your hand and say you got me through high school because you did. You oh, know, and that was when I started writing. I started writing my oh, own okay. Doctor Who stories with Fifth Doctor and Tegan and and Turlow and that was that was how I yeah. got started and, and, and it was that, yeah, my always, escape. That, yes. Absolutely, and it's always lovely to hear, and it makes you feel good. But uh, 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 oh, I never—I'm not very good at handling, you know. So I don't know what I said. I mean, oh, right, really no, you were great, and then Colin got very jealous because <laughs> I had no idea at that point that you guys had your little rivalry thing going on, and so that oh, yeah. was made it very interesting. But, yeah. but you know, and I'm sure that there were plenty of people out there who, you know have a very similar story got their start writing or acting or whatever because mm. of something that they saw you guys do or or the star trek yeah. folks or whoever it was well look at it now i mean look at the you know the two out of the last three uh showrunners you know uh, um mm -hmm. well russell t so russell t davis stephen moffat you know uh, uh, um crazy doctor who fans uh um you know the lunatics are running the asylum <laughs> well and that's yeah. true of much of Big Finish, too. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know? Oh, yes, yeah, completely nuts. Which I think is yeah. great. It's like, wow, look, the fans that, that turned it into a real thing, you know? Yes, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yes. Uh, um, we, I got an email yesterday from the guy who does the extras um, for uh, the Blu-ray releases, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, our DVDs, and they're, they're working on the 20th um the 20th season now, which we've done. I think, we've, I think he must just be editing. Uh, but he's, he's just being, we did a, we did a trip from London to uh, Germany, uh, Janet, Sarah and myself in a car where we just basically argued the entire time. <laughs> so there's, there's a pattern emerging here, isn't there? I'm arguing with my I'm arguing with Janet and said, anyway, he said, don't say. He, said, he said it was originally, he said it was originally meant to be uh, um, 20 minutes long, but it's now 75 minutes long on the DVD. He said, because I couldn't cut any of it because it's also ridiculously funny because we would, we just never stopped going like that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, so we're all, so we you know we're all crazy as each other. That's what I'm saying. It's wonderful. So whether you've turned, made us crazy or we've made you crazy, I don't know. It all works out terribly well. Yeah, I think it's perfect. <laughs> perfect the way it is. All right. Okay. So, well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. This has been a blast. That's our show. Thanks so much to Peter Davison and to you for joining me. Please leave a review for this episode. There's a link in your podcast app. And in it, tell us what you'd like the new Roaring Twenties to look like. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll share it with a friend. Thanks so much. If this episode resonated with you, don't forget to get in touch on any of my social platforms or even via email at nancy at fycuriosity.com and tell me what you loved. 
And if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now, and you haven't yet signed up for my free email series on six of the most common creative beliefs that are messing you up, please check it out. It'll untangle those myths and help you get rolling again. You can find it at fycuriosity.com. And there's also a link right in your podcast app. See you there and see you next week. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. Thanks. Thanks.